Welcome to Performance Anxiety. This week I speak with Alan Epley. At this point, I'd normally tell you what band he plays with. There's so damn many. The Shiner. They're putting out their first album in 20 years. And there's the Life and Times. They're actually recording new music. There's his Oasis cover band, Bro Oasis. There's the two-bass project he's doing called Bird Hands. And there's his day job with the Blue Man Group. And that's just what he's working on now. He also hosts a great podcast called Third Gear Scratch that talks with working artists about how they balance their creative lives with everyday life. So keep an eye on his Instagram account at Alien Epilepsy to stay up with everything he's involved in. Follow us at Performance ANX on Twitter and Instagram, and we join our conversation with Alan Epley already in progress. Hey, this is Alan Epley from Life and Times and Shiner, and you're listening to Performance Anxiety, and I'm glad you are. I'm at the age where I, I can't, I don't know if I need my glasses to read this stuff or not. It's like, it's in that weird zone where it's like, I got to move my notes uh-huh. in or out. Mm-hmm. It's neither here nor there. Yeah, or I just take my glasses off, but I can read some things and not others. So I don't... You're a lucky man. I can't see shit without it. Oh, man. I I uh, I used to be horrible. I got LASIK like 17, 18 years ago. Yeah. It was amazing. But it, your eyes eventually start to go back to what they were before. So it, about a year and a half ago, I started to realize I needed glasses again. So Damn it. Yeah, no. I was like, well, the only the only good thing is I didn't pay for the uh, LASIK, so that was good. That's good. I got it. I got a free LASIK, which normally is a frightening thought, but yeah, it was. It actually turned out okay. I won it, <laughs> so I, I won a LASIK contest. Nice. Oh, for real? Yeah, for real. I, uh, my wife and I had just gotten married, and she was working for a bank, and. Uh, they, were, they had this uh, event at the Chamber of Commerce, the local Chamber of Commerce, and I snuck in. I was a photographer. And so I snuck in to uh, pass my card around and, and try to drum up some business. Uh-huh. And uh, my wife, you know, she, she's like, just come in with me. They'll think you're working for the bank and go ahead and start you know, passing your card around. So this is before we had kids or anything. So I'm like, all right, yeah, no problem. So we start doing that, and I had just done work for an optometrist for their website. And this was like early on. This was like 2003, 2002, 2003. So, so uh, it was pretty early in it would website traffic and all. And so there, mm-hmm. the, uh, the optometrist was thrilled with the stuff that I had done. So I figured I'm at the uh, Chamber of Commerce event. I'll mention that. I'll go to some optometrist. I'll throw out, hey, I just did your competitor's stuff, so check it out. And if you like it, I'll do yours too. So I go to this one and the lady's like, hey, have you ever thought about LASIK? This is great. I'm like, you know, no, because I can't even put contacts in my eyes. I'm not going <laughs> to let somebody do Jedi shit on my eyeballs. No way. Exactly. And she says, no, it's, it's really great. It's, it's, it's a real simple procedure. I said, okay, next obstacle, <laughs> if you can get past that, is I don't have the money. It's like 1500 bucks an eye or something. So. Mm-hmm can't do that. She's like, well, we're doing a drawing, and uh, the doctor here is one of the doctors who pioneered LASIK surgery, and he likes to uh, do he does pro bono work every month. He does like a, a, a couple days where he does he does LASIKs, and we, yeah. we're doing a drawing for it. So I'm like, okay. I'm like, here, just take my business card. Let me know if you need some work. Okay, great. 
So like an hour later, I hear my name across uh, over the loudspeaker in the civic center. I'm like, oh shit, I got caught. <laughs> They're gonna have to kick me out. <laughs> so I go up to the table. I, I'm like reluctantly go up to the table. I'm like, yeah, I'm Mark. And the lady's like, oh my gosh, you just won. I'm like, okay, what? What? She's like, you something with with the uh, eye surgery. I'm like, oh shit. <laughs> so she walks me over to the table and she's like, Oh my gosh, I'm so glad you won. I'm so glad it was you. I'm like, okay, well, how much off is it? Cause it's always a percentage off. It's never, so she's like, no, it's, it's free. It's like, straight up free. Yeah. I'm like, no, you, it, it's not free. She's like, it's free. I said, you, you, she said, you come to the office. We do a uh, uh, check to make sure you're a good candidate. I said, okay, how much does that cost me? That's free. I said, Okay, he said. Then she does the the surgery, and that's free. And then there's a year of aftercare. Okay, how much is that? That's free. I'm like, are you shitting me? Said, no, no. Oh, yeah, okay. that's that's a lot better than uh, we caught you smoking weed and jerking off. <laughs> <in the corner. laughs> yeah, which they they probably could have caught me for either way. So. Yeah, either way. And you got freelancing. Yeah, exactly. And years of care. Exactly, exactly. But after uh, 17 or 18 years or whatever it was, my eyes just started to naturally go back to... Yeah, they don't tell you it's not forever. No, no. Eventually they do. Eventually you find out. But And it's weird because I couldn't hold my hand like a foot away from my eyes and see anything. I was that blind. I was just ridiculous. Wow. It was terrible. But, you know, I mean, I can... I can still I can take my glasses off and see things. It's just it just takes a little while for them to adjust and distances and sure. reading. So I kind of wear them for reading and driving. But I and, get it. Anyway, um, thank you so much for coming on, man. I appreciate it. Sure, man. I got. I, I'm gonna come clean. Speaking of jerking off in the bathroom, right? Um, I'm a recent fan of your work. Uh, I've been trying to catch up as it were. Mm-hmm. Uh, I found out about the life and times when, uh, I had the guys from vast robot armies on mm-hmm. and they're obviously enormous fans of all of your bands and your work. And uh, you guys have worked together a bunch. And, uh, I saw him working with Jordan, uh, Zadarosny from blink of the star. He, oh yeah. He, he was posting that, that they were on the album sounding great. I'm like, and I've known Jordan for a few years now, so I'm like, all right, let me let me check these guys out. I and uh, I was listening. I told Jordan, I said I should have these guys on. Definitely, you got to have them on. All right, so I reached out, and immediately they're like, oh, you got to get Alan on. I'm like, okay, um, tell me a little bit about him. And they're like, oh, he's in Life and Times. He's in Shiner. And I'm like, okay, uh, I'll check it out. And so I've been kind of playing catch up. So. I don't know everything. I haven't even I haven't even heard everything. Well, that's okay. Just even from Stay the life and time. times. Yeah. But uh, what I've heard is incredible, and I am really blown away by it. It's it's a three piece. There's only three of you guys. <clears throat> yep. The sound is so dense. Yeah. It's even yeah. live. Yeah, live. We we uh. We, we really try to fill up some space, you know, as much as we can without being, I mean, there is some level to it. Obviously we're loud live, but it's, it's a, a reasonable amount of loud, I think. Yeah. But, um, I think one of the main things we wanted to do was, uh, not layer like 
rhythm guitar over the bass parts okay. and things like that. I, I wanted to be my own guy, and sometimes I'm just the high notes floating above, and then and let the bass kind of carry the song with all of the chord progressions, kind of and like kind of a pretty aggressive tone. And then Chris is just a great drummer, so oh. you know, and he holds his own. So the ideas kind of comes from that, like. Um, um, police kind of vibe of playing, you know, okay. where Andy Summers is kind of floating on top and Sting as the song and the chord progression, you know what I mean? Yeah, exactly, and, yeah. And so, yeah, and so <clears throat> when you write that way and you record that way, then it comes out sounding pretty consistent like that live. Well, I'll, you know? I'll tell you what, the first song I ever heard the, uh, by Life of Times, which, and you know, was the first thing I ever heard by you was Dear Linda. And the drumming on that is incredible. Like you said, that that's just, I, I literally, I, I'll air drum to that at work. I'll be listening to that at work and, oh, good. and I'm just sitting there and people are like, look, looking at me like, what the, what is wrong with that guy? He must be listening to Phil Collins. Right. So, <laughs> But uh, before we get too deep into it, I want to know more about what got you into music. Um, you you were born into a musical family. Your parents mm-hmm. were both music professors. Oh yeah, um, that was it. Basically, there was never really any other kind of choice for me in my own mind. Not because they forced me, but um, it just was. I was just kind of bathed in it constantly. So it seemed like the very obvious choice for me. Um, and I always excelled on it, you know, and I always enjoyed it and it seemed like an obvious choice kind of, but yeah, mom and dad were the kind of choral directors and they were the youth group, uh, and the choir directors and ministers okay. of music okay. at these places and organists at these churches, Crescent Hill Baptist church in Louisville and, um, and, uh, a couple other different churches along the way, but it was always it was a time when going to church didn't mean you were a religious zealot. You know, it right. was, it was a time when everybody it was more like this community we all kind of went to. And it was uh, a gentler, uh, kinder kind of time, I think, actually, as far as how that goes, honestly. Okay. Okay. I feel like everything's so divided. You know, if you go to church, you're some religious freak, you know, and it's like <laughs> you can be for sure. Uh, you know, and like, I don't know if there's much middle ground in churches anymore. But anyway, that's what I was raised in. And, and <laughs> you know. So yeah, it was always kind of built in. So you you kind of had the sense from an early age that you were going to have a career somehow in music. I, I did. I didn't not necessarily have it envisioned out exactly clearly, um, but I definitely did go to college and was a music major. My dad actually worked at the college and helped to uh, get me in at the because uh, I was such a terrible high school student. Ah, I know that one. Terrible student. Yeah, I was like <laughs> been divorced, and it was kind of a. It was kind of a woe is me time, I think, but uh, I don't remember it that way, but I think it probably was. I don't know. I would do the same exact thing, man. My parents got divorced uh, between my junior and senior years in high school. Mm-hmm. And I'm not like my grades were stellar to begin with, but man, they plummeted. And that really, really screwed me up in college because mm-hmm. I just became the angry kid in mm-hmm. the dorms. And uh, exactly. 
That nobody wants to hang out with that dude for some reason. Right. I don't know if I was angry. I was more just like just fucking off, you know, and not yeah. being as consistent as I should have. Blowing off assignments and nobody was checking on me. We had bigger fish to fry. I know, s- and high school for sure. You know. Yeah, I, I did the same thing in college, and that I ended up leaving school. I went up to Rochester for photography, and then junior, uh, well, yeah, I guess my sophomore year, I left for a year, started going back my junior year, and halfway through, I'm like, I'm done. I can't. I'm not doing. Yeah. It. So. Yeah, I, I I definitely get that. You know, um, we I didn't end up. I, I stopped for a semester, but I did go back. Um, so I was on like a four and a half, five year plan, and uh, finished out with a degree. Oh, that's good. Yeah. I did the 15-year plan. I, I left, started a career in a family, and then 15 years later, I'm like, you know what? If I want to go anywhere, I should yeah. probably finish that degree. Yeah. So it's not a photography, but it, it's, uh, it's, it's your generic business administration, BS in, in BA. Right. So, <laughs> right. Which has done nothing for me. So, like, yay, student debt. Yeah. Anyway, so so... What what did you start with? Did you start playing guitar? Or was there the piano? What was your first instrument? Uh, the voice, actually. Oh. I was I was a, quite a singer for a, a long time, but I would say instrumentally, you know, I had to. I had to. Tr- they tried violin on me in. Uh, oh wow! Like second or third grade, and then that didn't take. And then piano lessons didn't really take. My mom was already teaching the class and, and I just didn't, it didn't take for me. I wish I'd had paid attention more. It would have made my college juries a lot easier because yeah. I had to learn how to play in college, but uh, oh wow, yeah, you got to learn later on, but it would have made it a lot easier. But uh, I learned in uh, my, my youth group um, leader um, at Crescent Hill was a great picker. And um, I learned to, I learned how to play by watching him play James Taylor songs and things like that. Oh, wow. yeah. So you're more the uh, album rock influenced guy, the uh, James Taylors and Journeys. Yeah, it was my mom's, it's my mom and dad's record collection. It's um, James Taylor, Carol King, Blood, Sweat, and Tears. Oh, uh, some Beatles, Chicago. You know, it's kind of AM Gold shit. Oh, that's like, good stuff. Yeah, it was really good. Um, I still think James Taylor is like head and shoulders above many of his contemporaries and they're all many of his contemporaries are fucking amazing but yeah. I, I think this is like i'm like, a latecomer to him I'm uh, a, he's a big deal well the beatles signed him so that should tell you something yeah that's true like 20 and put him out so they both played on like uh paul mccartney and george harrison were both on that first record play oh really yeah it i didn't realize it See, uh-huh. I've known about him forever since because my mom liked him, and I think maybe that's one reason why I never got into him is because yeah, yeah, it's mom's rock. Yeah, exactly. Although she was the first one to get me my first Led Zeppelin album, you know, my the first album I ever actually bought was Van Halen's 1984, and it was we were a trip to the uh, uh, I, don't, I don't remember it was like Macy's or I don't know some Target type of store in New Jersey, and she's like, "Here's seven dollars, go buy an album, go and, do your thing." Yeah, and so I I had I. Couldn't decide, so I came over. I went over to her and I had Quiet Riot, Metal Health, and Van Halen, 1984. And she's like, "I like the cover of that one. Go get that one." So I got, yeah. I got 1984. So so well, it turns out you made the right decision. It's about a thousand <laughs> times the record of Metal. <laughs> With she, all due respect to Metal Health. Yeah, exactly, exactly. But you know, Randy wasn't on that one. So that's right. So when did you start playing in bands, like like rock bands? 
Uh, well, in high school, you know, you start fucking around with friends and like I played bass and with some buddies and we played in the talent show. Um, but it wasn't until college we put together a band about the second year of a couple dudes and I played bass. By that time, by the time I got to college, I had kind of transferred into playing bass. Okay. Um, and uh, yeah, it was just a, our college band was called The Industry. And then uh, three-piece, always loved the efficiency of the three-piece. I definitely wanted to ask you about that because that seems to be a recurring theme of your bands. A lot of, mm-hmm. of three-pieces. Is that by yeah. design? Yeah, definitely. I, I mean, even even bands like with four members are still three pieces, like, you know, The Doors and Zeppelin and, you know, that kind of shit. So I always loved how they recorded. And then and R.E.M. is another great three-piece band where it's generally, you know, just guitar, bass, and drums, you know. So they yeah. were very efficient in their recording and how they did it. They're over – and how, it, how they would overdub cool, like uh, – cool things in the studio and then they weren't required live they just would like say like if there's a baseline like um rem would have a baseline and they would just kind of double it with a piano the low notes from a piano and so on the recording you hear that piano pretty consistently but then live you're in the moment they know the song and it's kind of unneeded the bass is already doing it you know what i mean yeah, you're not yeah. going there's a piano right you know, it's just like they're doing the song and it sounds perfect for some reason, you know? So I was really kind of always mystified by, um, by that. I love police. Um, I love rush oh, um, yeah. and that kind of, their kind of stuff. I don't love everything from every band. I mean, I think every band has made bad records and, you know, but. Okay. So, uh, they, so you bring up a good point. What's, yeah. what's the rush album that you don't like? I, I don't really know much after uh, power windows. Okay. Uh, I would say uh, Caress of Steel is a little rich. Um, they kind of missed their mark. That's what I think Paul Stanley and Gene Simmons would agree with that. <laughs> but uh, it's just, it's fine. It's got some good songs songs on it, uh, Lakeside Park and that kind of shit. But oh, some yeah. of it's too rich. On their side. Okay. But uh, I would say after Power Windows, I don't know any of that. Presto, Roll the Bones, uh, Hold Your Fire. I don't know any of that shit. Except oh, wow. for I would go see them at those times, and but like, the the layering, the precision of their recordings kind of lost me. You know what I mean? Oh, okay. okay. Yeah. See, you oh, too is one of those great three piece bands. You know, I really was fascinated, and he—that's one of those things where the bass line just is the whole song, and then you know you got the edge on top. But Rush, oh, yeah. you know, man, back to Rush. Yeah. <laughs> At what point did you start to play with Shiner? Because that—that was your first. Real big time professional signed band, right? College, yeah. I had graduated college, and then um, the industry played for about a year and a half after college, three piece, and then we broke up. And then uh, the drummer and I started the band called Orchid, which turned into Shiner. Um, okay. And uh, so we kind of, I ended up when Tim Dow had offered his services, I kind of like, I was playing with Clayton Brown, my buddy, Jeff Brown, the, like one of my oldest buddies from college. I was like, man, I think we're going to do this instead. And he was like, oh, man, for real? Oh. Yeah. But he goes, <laughs> I get it. He's a great drummer. And like Jeff was interested, but not as into the whole thing. So it was okay. kind of mutual. It was an understanding. And he's down. He's he's one of my closest, oldest friends. And that's Clayton. And he ended up making uh, Shiner videos and a lot of the Life and Times videos. So, oh, cool. Which are amazing. Oh, 
Mm-hmm, thank you. Yeah, he's a that's all Clayton. That's so, fantastic. Yeah, so I fired his ass. <laughs> get off get off the drum throne. Start making vids, bud. You know where your strengths are. That's right. So he's a great drummer too, though, and a great songwriter. So I had a, another side project with him called Space Suit. Um, but oh, okay. uh, yeah, so then Shiner started playing along, and and we were just playing with our friends Molly McGuire and um, Season to Risk in Kansas City. Oh yeah, it was a fertile time at that time. There's a lot of other bands going on, and it still is a really fertile musically and artistically. It's a cool town, and there is a scene consistently. And uh, some good support among most of the bands, it seems like, you know. That's what I keep hearing. I've had a few guys on the show from that area, like like Vast Robot Army. And Steve was on the show. Uh, he did a, an episode with me where we actually, we didn't really end up discussing Season to Risk. We discussed uh, Swans for an uh, hour. So right. He's a pretty big Swans fan from uh, what, what I heard. So uh, I had Michael yeah. Jarrah on and, and he's, He's like, oh my gosh, that's amazing. So, well, come on, let's talk about swans. Because, kind of like with you, I swans to me was intimidating. I knew of them forever, but I heard one track a long time ago and it scared me. And so, yeah, so I was kind of like, I'm gonna. No, it's it is. It's very powerful. That really defines Steve. He that really is right on the money of kind of what he loves is swans. You well, know. Well, he was he. We had a, a great album as a. a, a Album show and it was a blast. So, so I'm I talked to him a little bit about the scene and all, and he was he was mentioning you know how supportive it is and and he's you know he's uh, owner of a, of a couple establishments that uh, really help support the area as far as music scene is concerned too. Yeah, the record bar is a big deal. Yeah, that's what I hear. I got to get out there one of these days. So I can check all these places out. It's a cool town. What town are you in? You're in Toronto. No, I'm outside of Washington D.C. Okay, you're outside D.C. Yeah, so. Yeah, you should go to. Um, you definitely should check out Casey. It's a cool town. It really is. I don't live there now, but uh, <laughs> you got you've got a whole family going on right now. I do. I yeah. do. How that? All right. So let's see. Where was, where the hell was I going with all this? So we're we're at Shiner here. One of the coolest things I heard in my research was Shiner's cover of Only Shallow. I love my bloody Valentine. I mean, oh, yeah. Huge Valentine fan. That to me would be an intimidating song to tackle. I don't, you don't see too many people doing my bloody Valentine <laughs> covers. What yeah, spurred that was, on? Uh, we just loved that shit and wondered if we could do it, you know, and thought it would wondered if it would be <laughs> something we would want to do. And it turned out cool. You know, we yeah, were like really cool. Yeah. Um, we, you just kind of jump into it. We were on tour. We were in L.A. And we were in Anaheim. And we went to... I'm going to decline this call here. <laughs> no problem. <laughs> They're dead to me. No. no. <laughs> yeah, and, see, uh, don't interrupt yeah. my podcast. All right. So we were on tour, and um, we had some time scheduled. We had a day off or a two. 
one day we'd been playing this cover and um we liked our version of it just kind of figured out just kind of like you know the chords a lot of the chords are difficult to figure you just kind of like everyone's faking it i don't even know what the chords are honestly <laughs> it's and, a lot of noise it's a lot of noise but then you kind of like you start to discern exactly what the kind of chord progression is and kind of like you look up on the internet what the words might be because who fucking knows i don't even belinda and, knew yeah and uh right and um it, it was at this studio with that uh, the Sh- first Cheryl Crow record had been made at the where they did that Tuesday Night Supper Club record with oh, yeah, uh, yeah. All I Want to Do and all that. They had two or three hits off that. Yeah. So she was writing with like some like baller musicians. I can't for the life of me remember. It wasn't like Don was or somebody, but it was like some kind of big deal. Yeah. Sort of like big deal writers. I can't, I can't remember. But it was in that studio. That it was really interesting. All right, now this is this is where do you, I don't know if you've ever looked that up on YouTube because that that's where I heard it. As soon as your track, uh, your version of Only Shallow is done, it auto plays to some dude named Kenny Feinstein. I have no mm-hmm. idea who this is, but he does an acoustic cover of Only Shallow. And how is it? It's insane. It's yeah. it's acoustic. I mean, there's definitely some feedback noise going on in the background but uh-huh. it's it's unusual that's cool it but it is really cool i was really surprised at uh an acoustic take on it so yeah it's a nice thing i i you know that uh do you know who jose gonzalez is yeah uh the name is familiar he's a singer songwriter he's actually swedish anyway he did a cover of massive attack teardrop and it's insane oh, so he- so when you said he's when you said he's Swedish, I think that that kind of yeah, yeah, he's not a he's not a Hispanic or Latin American. He's just uh, yeah, Swedish, I believe. Now, Very oh, interesting. So how long was Shiner together before you guys decided that it was it had run its course? Uh, we were a band for ten years, okay. ninety three to two thousand two. It was somebody ninety two to two thousand two, and then. Was it an immediate transition from Shiner to the Life and Times? Uh, it was. It was for me. And we, we, we both went into uh, uh, Josh and Paul and had started, uh, maybe Gherkin recorded for them or something, had started doing uh, Fire 1666. So they had their own side thing, or their own new band, and I had my own new band. And I had already been writing some anyway with another drummer, <laughs> Mike Myers. And was oh, just I kind of him and so I married an axe murderer. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I bet you get that one that open. Before. Yeah. <laughs> never heard that one before. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> it is a very different kind of drummer for me. Okay. And the, a lot of the Shiner drummers, I mean, both the Shiner drummers, Tim Dow and Jason Gerken, were both um, like super proficient um, drummers, drummers, you know. Mm-hmm. I mean, and uh, so Myers has a, is a – also a really great fucking drummer, but it's a different approach okay. and he can play slowly very well and very like he can play like that Pink Floyd kind of shit, oh, which is okay. m- much more difficult to do. You know, if you give a drummer like something in five or seven to play to, it's almost easier to find something. But if you just give them a straight four sometimes and something slow, mm-hmm. play something, play something cool to that, you know, and, and fit the song. And that's, 
harder sometimes for some drummers to kind of fit their mind around. Okay. And historically, the Shiner vibe has been kind of a, there's a certain math rock element to it, although we never set out to write. And to, I, I never would like set up and go, I'm going to write in five, nine or 11. I just would kind of feel something and write it. And then I'd have to break it down later and realize that it was at a certain time. Oh, wow. But, uh-huh. I never like when you're explaining it to somebody, you have to go, well, fuck, well, here's one. You know, <laughs> they got to know where one is in the right. phrase when you're playing it for the guys. So, okay. So there's that kind of shit, you know, but when I write, I don't like set down for that. I really try to just get into it and feel it out. Yeah. All right. So what's, what's behind the name, the life and times, anything in particular? I liked it because, uh, it was a kind of a weird phrase for me. Always. It always seemed like a, a kind of a strange phrase, but it also kept our, I liked the sound of it, but I liked how it was, uh, it could be very dark or it could be very kind of like, it could be foreboding or it didn't have to be, you know, it okay. had different kind of connotations depending on what the music was like or what the cover art was like or what the title of the record was. So, you know, okay, uh, I liked its malleability, you know, and fuck said certain point, you just got to settle on a name. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. It takes a long time. Yeah. I, I can imagine. I'm trying to remember. I had somebody on recently and they were saying the hardest part of, of getting the band together was coming up with a name that hadn't been taken already. Uh huh. That's exactly right. So, and the, the life and time sounds very literary. Well, I yeah, I appreciate that. I I've had uh, it's it, the only like kind of confusion that there's been is that I think Jay Z has a thing. It's called life and time, life plus times. Oh, okay. Yeah, and so it's like his brand or something. So that's been a little strange, but like from more than that, we've we've kind of established it. So it's been good. Well, you know? I, I hear he's kind of popular. So like, I mean, it probably isn't too bad. Yeah, I mean, I've heard the name. I'm yeah. not sure who it is. People I, have, I've heard people talk about him. But I, I, yeah. <laughs> I want to know what the Z is. Is that getting a maybe, horse? Yeah. Maybe that's, maybe that's Jordan's at He's just Jay Z. Mm hmm. Yeah. I gotta check with him. That's good. It could be, <laughs> but you've got a shit ton of bands though. So you're currently with, Let's see. All right. So there's Life and Times. Shiner is, has, reunites from time to time. Then there's uh, Bird Hands, Broasis, which is awesome. I told my kids that you, you do an Oasis cover band called Broasis, and my daughters absolutely loved that. They thought that was the, the coolest thing in the, on the planet. And you also perform as, in the musicals part of Blue Man Group. I do. How the hell do you keep all that shit straight? Well, for a long time, I mean, Blue Man's just my job. You know, I just, it's not my creative outlet. Okay. You know, I, I, I really enjoy playing it. And, you know, I'm not a Blue Man. I'm playing the band. Right. Um, but it's, You play Chapman Stick. Mm-hmm. Play bass and Chapman Stick and some other, like, percussion shit. That's a crazy-ass instrument. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, it, not, we don't really play it, like, traditionally, like, the way a lot of like Chapman stick players, like if you come in knowing how to ch play Chapman stick, there's a very good chance you will not get hired. Oh, really? They, yeah. Because the, we don't really play it that way. And I don't know. It's kind of a strange thing, but, um, so we bow it, you know, it's tuned in fifths. So we okay. bow it with a, uh, if you cut the thickest bass string, you know, the, uh, you cut like a one ten bass string into three chunks of like 10 inches each. 
And then we drag it across a string like a bow, like across oh. two strings. So it ends up kind of like sounding like a cello. Oh, wow. It's, mm, it's pretty cool. And it, and it, uh, but it's kind of like fast chugging, chicka, 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 pretty fast. not all of it. it was tapping and all kinds of other stuff but um but, it's a really interesting gig but that's not that's just work that's so you, not my, not just not my creative outlet but but you actually can uh now say you play the chapman stick and you can get a job that tony levin's not going to get uh i guess yeah no, tony, <laughs> they wouldn't yeah tony's he's too good for us <laughs> so how does how does the working with the blue man group work i mean it, is is it improvised? Is, is everything? Uh, and not, I don't want to say stage, but do you have like a? Is, is the music portion of it scripted? Yep. yep. Well, the whole show is very tightly scripted, but it's got built in many different improv and uh, floating template uh, structures in it. Okay. So, in different parts of the show, it's different every night. Oh, and there's, cool. There's audience interaction on certain things. So certain parts of the show are are pretty scripted very tightly. And, uh, you know, it, it's a big deal to just become a blue man, to figure that out. If they find the right people, the blue men are generally actors, and they're not primarily musicians. The blue men, although they do play instruments, you don't get hired because you're a great musician. You get hired because you're the right actor, and you look right in the bald and blue, as they say. Uh <laughs> Quote, unquote, because you can get all these different stages of, of doing all kinds of stuff. And then if they put the ball, get you in bald and blue, which is like the third phase of if you don't look right, you don't get the gig. You know, it's oh, like, wow, yeah, it's a it's a strange thing. So, um, yeah. Yeah. I mean, it's like kind of when you go on SNL, you have to have like a wig test, you know, and what do you look like? And they'll put different wigs on you. And some people just can't play different wigs. And so that's crazy. Uh huh. Wow. It's a thing. It's a thing. So but, how, many, uh, how many guys are in the Blue Man Group at any during a show? And how, well, is, is it like a rotating? It's kind of a worldwide corporation at this point. Cirque Soleil owns half of us. Like they have like ownership of half of the whole like, thing. So, when you're when but, you're playing, how I, many how many guys are playing at one? In, in, just in the uh, in the the orchestra, or the band section of it. How many we're, guys? We're, are in a, we're in a loft floating above the stage. Okay. So there's three Blue Men. And then there's three band members. There's a drummer, a Chapman stick, and then an electric zither. Um, oh, wow. And then uh, the, the zither player also plays guitar. Okay. And the Chapman stick player also plays bass. Okay. So it's a power trio, or it's some different versions of that. So, and then you run these guitars and instruments and zithers and everything through a bunch of pedals and so to try out is a thing to even get the gig is a big deal. Most of them are much better players than I am. I kind of faked my way through it and <laughs> that I was good enough, but seriously, most of the players are like shredders and I'm not really wow. that kind of player. Um, but, um, yeah. And then just playing every time you get together, you're playing with often you're playing with different people. So there's like nine or 10 different musicians that are, in the total band, you know, or okay. maybe 12 or 13, there's like 
four drummers, there's three stick players, there's four zither players, you know what I'm saying? Yeah, and yeah. You're always playing with a different version of that. So you're always kind of it's sound check, you set it together with you know, we always have a sound check every day and you always have post show meeting um about your notes and what fucked up and what didn't. Mm-hmm. It's very much a theater show, you know. It's really not about getting your rocks off and and, and putting your um your own stamp on it. Like uh, I'm they're really gonna know that, you know, Alan's in here. They're gonna <laughs> really gonna hear Big A, you know. It's not <laughs> it's not really like that. But you do get to in, inject some of your own stuff into it and have fun. But just the main thing is to be a pro, you know, be okay. a fucking pro. It's, you know, you know, that's the main thing. So how, how many days a week are you playing with the Blue Man Group? Uh, it depends. In the, in the slow season, I'll have as few as four or six shows in the month. Oh, wow. Or in the busy season, which is basically March through August. And then again, in the holidays. So they'll be like, I'll have like 20 shows a month or more. Oh, wow. So it goes, so it very much is in seasonal and a lot of times. So the dead, the dead seasons are more like September and October and then January and February. And those are like the four kind of deadish months where okay. I'm not much. Okay. So, okay. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now let, I want to, I want to ask you a little bit about Broasis because <laughs> yeah. that is okay. First of all, the name's awesome. Yeah. But I, I, when I was li- trying to do my research for this, I was listening to some old interviews and you had mentioned that you think that everybody who wants to actually start writing music should probably join a cover band of some sort just to I, learn how to actually write songs. I think so. I mean, you don't have to join a cover band, but I would say in your development, the only model you can do is to base yourself off what has been done. And people, people have done the work for you. Just learn to play their songs. And then if you learn to play 20 songs, you're going to have a new song when you get done with it, learning these songs. And it will have informed you greatly on how to write a song. You can, you might be a giant talent. You might just be so otherworldly talented that you don't have to learn anybody else's songs and you can just write the best songs straight after you learn how to play guitar. But that's not most everybody. That's kind of like a one in a thousand kind of person. If that's you or that's that person, then, you know, good on them. But I would say also they're going to have a certain ceiling um, on their development. And I think at a certain point, along the way they're going to need to learn. It just helps to learn other people's fucking songs, how to play, man. That's how you learn how to play. Right. Plus, it's wildly fun and you get to really just enjoy the music and really enjoy their artistry and, and um, just get a fucking Eagles songbook and, and learn how this, I'm not even kidding, man. Those guys are master songwriters. Yeah, they really are. You know? and, and, you- and learn to play your acoustic guitar to Tom Petty and Eagles songs and you will be a badass. You might end up playing songs that are like Neurosis or like fucking Rings of Saturn or some shit like this. But it's like you you will have have this under your development. You know what I mean? It's really it's important. Well, and most people aren't inspired to write music based on stuff something that they're doing. It's they've heard somebody else's music. And like uh-huh. that sounds awesome. I want to do right. something like that. So mm-hmm. that makes I think sense. you have to know the rules in order to bake to to break them or bake them. But you also have to, uh, but you know what I mean? You really do 
need to kind of know what's already come or else you're going to just end up doing something that anybody else is, somebody else has already done. You just yeah. didn't know because you didn't do your research. You just didn't know it had been done. Exactly. Like, Listen to this. And they're like, Oh, the animals did this. Yeah. <laughs> uh, we're the animals. No, man, this is us. Grandma's 90, dude. This is our thing. <laughs> you know, you end up just like, and so I think it's important to do that research and learn, learn how to learn your instrument. Well, what I like about that is, you you've taken your own advice to heart because you you you're in Oasis cover band, but you've also done things like uh, Life and Times Doppelganger EP where you've done a variety of different tracks. You know, you did a Tom co- uh, Tom Petty cover. You did the Romantics, which oh, yeah. that is amazing. I don't know what what you guys were or how that became uh, an idea. How you wanted to pick. Smoking so much meth and PCP that it just it's, seemed like the right thing to do, man. Man, well, yeah, because it's it's such a creeper song, and you guys made it even creepier. Yeah, it is. Well, there definitely is some real creepiness in it when you think about the lyrics. And, yeah. Um, but but uh, we, we enjoy it. Like my development now, like I don't we're not doing Broasis in order to like. Uh, we're just doing Broasis to like uh, have fun and have some beers and play somebody else's music, you know? Yeah. And play some hits. It's just a real release. And then it turned out it was a lot better than it should have been. It was me and some other bartenders. I'm a like a coctologist over at a really great whiskey restaurant here. That could be taken the total wrong way. Yeah, <laughs> mixology. Yeah. Uh, I think I've called my I friend a coctologist once. Uh huh. Right. Uh, but kind of a, it's a I'm kind of a whiskey enthusiast, and so I've done a lot of work on that. And uh, at this place, Longman and Eagle, so a bunch of the bartenders got together there, and we all just had been playing Oasis on the on the uh, system there. And we were like, let's just do this and got together. And it was immediately pretty great. So, well, it sounds awesome. It's hard to tell though. Cause I was trying to listen to some of the videos on YouTube uh-huh. and the music is great. And then as soon as the lyrics kick in, I hear it just, whoever's holding the, the camera is singing along. Yeah. They just, it's a bunch of dudes singing. <laughs> and I'm just like, I can't really tell where Alan is because yeah. it's just some dude I just singing. Did the crowd sing. That's right. <laughs> That's but, the beauty of playing a, some twelve million selling uh, hit. Right, everybody else knows all the fucking words. No kidding. And so you guys focused on on Oasis and their hits. I mean, is there was there any thought of expanding it or just Oasis is just like uh, you're, you're, everybody's fans of Oasis because there's no verve in it. There's no. Uh, I mean, I'm a big Britpop fan. I mean, I, I love Oasis, Verve, Cast, Reef, love all right. those guys. And I know yeah. most people wouldn't know a Reef song if you threw it at them, but Verve song yeah. here or there. But Oasis was... It's about a love of Oasis. We just love Oasis mainly and just 
we love Nolan Liam and the songs and just the purity of it. You know, it was interesting. I really didn't love them for the past 25 years. Um, besides Champagne Supernova, which mm-hmm. I thought was maybe one of the best songs ever written. I agree. So I had this like kind of like active disinterest of them from the very beginning, from really? the 90s and throughout all of it. it was very like, it seemed like very too, too much, too stock or too, uh, kind of default, the chord progressions, the solos. Mm-hmm. I still think the solos are a little default, kind of stocky, uh, um, nothing against his playing. I just think he's not the greatest soloist, yeah, but, um, yeah. I think he's a great guitarist and a great songwriter. And, uh, but like, so, um, like I have a hard time telling the solos apart they're all kind of sound like you can tell some, but you know, no, I agree with you. I agree. Solos yeah. are not Noel's strong point. Yeah. Songwriting. Like undying love of champagne supernova. Even when I was like deep into shiner, you know, at that time, mid nineties, I was like, this song rules all the other shit. I don't even understand, you know, but like, so now but then I kind of like transferred it and I like started to hear it and it's just so good and, and more timeless. It, so. it really is. It's it, Oasis is one of those bands. And it's, it's funny cause you'll start playing some songs and people, oh, I forgot about that song. That's yeah. a great song, but you kind yeah. of, you kind of keep it within uh, that few year period where they kind of ruled the airwaves. It looks like. Yeah, I mean, if you go out playing some obscure Oasis song, they're just going to think it's your stupid obscure song. So, I mean, you might as well yeah. play the hit or at least stuff. Uh, I mean, as we go along, we'll probably pull out um, more of the hits as it, you know. But, uh, I mean, there's 10 songs that people would know that we're not playing right now. But we'll add that in. And it's just fun. I mean, yeah. it really, it's just fucking fun. And we're not trying to, like, kill it. I mean, we're just, I mean, we want to play good and play well and have fun shows, but it really is a euphoric kind of just fun. We're not trying to be too serious about it. So, well, I mean, you guys look like you're having a blast up there and everybody in the crowd is having a good time. It's euphoria in the crowd. We've had two of those kind of like really crazy, uh, kind of, uh, just those kind of mystical shows. The first one here in Chicago at a room called the East room, which is closed now. And then the second one, was at uh, the second euphoric show was at a uh, mini bar in Kansas city. Oh, and it's like everybody just fucking freaking out and singing along. And it was just like beer. And yeah, it was just amazing. It was really fun. That is awesome. And, Cause yeah, I don't see a whole lot of cover bands out there lately. Locally, it's, really, it's a thing coming back around. I hope so. It's tribute bands, cover bands are at one thing. That's more of like a, a corporate and a wedding kind of thing. Okay, and they do a wide variety of stuff. More often, what what you say? I think, yeah, cover band implies. I guess they would. They'll do other. They don't focus on one band. Yeah, we're we're more like a tribute. See, it's a tribute band. I know we got to, and I got to check these guys out now because of of how good you guys are. And, and the the fear is always that the tribute band is going to be not so good. Uh huh. Oh yeah. We've got a, a Rush tribute band here. Look now, I got now. I feel like I need to go check them out. Yeah, you should. Well, the thing about us is we don't try and dress like them. Well, we don't try good. and do that. We just have these lights behind us, and uh, it's loud. And you keep the front lights low. We just kind of like make it sound right. But we're not trying to like dress like Oasis. Right. Right. Because who could? No yeah. one's got the money to dress like those guys. Those or the eyebrows, man. Those thousand dollar sneakers. Yeah. <laughs> All right. So, bird hands. 
It's mm-hmm. a fun word to say, but it's also yes. a band. Tell me a little bit about this whole project because this sounds interesting to me. It's cool. This was a uh, this was a, a, a project that we had where uh, it's just me and a buddy have known each other for a long time. Ian Prince, he's a great drummer from Minneapolis. Um, plays with a lot of different bands, but historically, people would know him from a band called Houston um, that toured with Shiner and uh, Story of the Sea, and he's a uh, kind of a session guy all around Minneapolis. And now he plays with soul asylum and a band called porcupine. Okay. Uh, so he's doing really well. And, but he and I have been longtime friends past 25 years. And, um, we had an idea to just kind of, uh, to make some tracks where we weren't in the same room together. I would just put all the track, all the, it's all just bass and drums. Okay. So I did everything on my studio to a click and I would send him the file. And then he took to, took it to the stu- to his studio and had some dude record it and would send me back the tracks. And we didn't go, uh, maybe go to the hats on this section and then go to this on this, do a floor. We didn't do any of that. And he didn't ask it of me. He nice. just put parts to the to the song. And so when he sent it back, it was done. And I would do, I did a little mix. But then we ended up having – so we did nine songs and we ended up having um, – Jay Robbins uh, remix it. You know Jay from uh, Jawbox. Oh, okay, yeah, yeah. He was in. Well, that's your area. You got to know that. Yeah, DC, you're supposed to know this. Stuff. Yeah, <laughs> I'm not. Oh, I'm not that. real good with everybody's names. Band names, I'm good with. Okay, well, Jawbox. That's Jay. That's Jay Robbins is a very prolific uh, and and um, great engineer and producer. Got a studio in Baltimore called Magpie Cage. Okay, yeah. I, I'm, so, Anybody wanting a pro record should go there for sure. Or my place. Yeah. <laughs> but his, his is a much more thorough uh, studio than ours, you know. But uh, um, but he's a, a really, really great uh, musician and engineer. Anyway, he mixed it. And it's just like bass and drums. But there is some guitar sounds in it. But it's just bass sounds that I kind of manipulated. Oh, you know, cool. Yeah. So, um that's it. We uh, played together for the first time in a practice about two weeks ago. It's going to work. Oh, awesome. Full in it. Yeah. It was always like, is this going to fucking work? <laughs> I didn't know how I was, didn't know how it was going to go. <laughs> and, uh, uh, it turns out it's going to work. And we were delighted by that. And so, um, Shiner is, we're going to, we're going to de- delay our release of bird hands until, uh, until about September, I think. Okay. Um, Shiner has made another record and um, that is released in early May. Okay, good. All right. So, so Shiner's got a new album. You got Bird Hands with uh, an album in the fall. Uh, what's, is there any news with Life and Times? Yeah. Um, it's at a slower clip, but yes. And we just uh, played a new song the other night when we were playing at the Metro here in Chicago. Okay. Um, so we have about three new songs and we, it took a while after the last record. We had five records. It took a while after the last one for us to kind of find where we wanted to go and where we're feeling. We love each other and we love playing live and we think we're amazing. Um, well, I've, I think a lot of uh, people think that too. Well, I mean, not, I mean, but thank you. But like we, we love who we are and how we play and we love being together as just me and Chris and Eric we love riding in a van together and playing shows and blowing minds at great shows, you know, and 
So we will continue to make music and to do this, but we're going to have to stagger it. And we're going to be writing all this time when Shiner will be touring and stuff. So, so you, you've got all these bands. You also 10 bar, you're in mm-hmm. man group and you do a podcast, third gear scratch. Yeah. Where do you find the time to do this? And, and what inspired third gear scratch? Uh, third gear scratch is a, is a, is an exploration of wanting to find out how other musicians exist because I think there is some illusion that's created that um, if you've seen somebody on TV, you think they're rich. And there's also the illusion that if you've never heard of this person, that they must not be making a good living. And that's also can be bullshit. Yeah. Many people are, and many bands are not on the cover of, many magazines, but also can make a great fucking living doing it. Um, I mean, you talk to bands like murder by death, they're making a fucking killing, but they're not on, they're not in Rolling Stone. You know right, what I mean? Right. But, uh, and, um, there's also actors. Some of the blue man guys that I work with are, um, some of them are, have jumped off of being in the full-time blue man thing. And they only do it. Sometimes they come back for extra money. Okay. And so a lot of those guys are actors, you know, and, and so doing the blue man gig for them is not their destination. They don't, they, it's a really wonderful honor to be a part of it and a great paying gig, but it may not, they may not feel like it's their artistic destination. Right. Or, right. So some of them jump off and go to LA and then they come back and do, they do coverage over the holidays or busy, busy times word and they make money. So some of those guys are on shows like, uh, uh, Amazon prime's reboot of the tick, you know? Yes. I love the tick and they're on true blood and they're on uh, true detective and, and shows on, on, on Nickelodeon, like Harvey danger. And they do voiceover stuff and they're, you know, they're busy actors, you know? And, um, and one of the ways that I, so I guess it was kind of a third year scratch was started, as um, as a way to address my own kind of neuroses, and it's a bit of therapy for me. Um, as I've grown older, I'm still in the business. I guess I thought for a long time I thought my, I might be in academia or in some other kind of job at this point, but I'm not. I'm a 51 year old man. I'm still like making music, which is strange to me and raising a family. <laughs> my wife still loves me. Um, hey, that's people good. Still buy our, yeah, people still buy our records. We still. Um, I can go out and do a good tour and play to people and make money. Um, and that's all stuff that I don't overlook. Um, so, but I guess it's, I, I get to a point where I'm like, well, what the fuck am I, why am I? And what does that, is anybody else in this situation? You know, you ever, you ever wake up in the middle of the night and go, what the fuck am I doing? You know, every and, night. Mm-hmm. So that's <laughs> that. And that's kind of where I've been talking to the different filmmakers and actors, comics, uh, um, I'm talking tomorrow. I'm talking to the the main stage uh, director of Second City here in Chicago. Oh wow! Um, yeah, so that's who I'm, and we're gonna we're gonna talk to her about her. She's also a, a stage manager at Blue Man, oh, cool. um, and she just loves Blue Man. So she got the gig there, even though she's there at Second City dealing with these like future TV stars. Um, every night I, I went and saw the show two weeks ago. It was fucking fabulous. That's, and, uh, I'm going to definitely tune into that. I, now I'm a big fan of third gear scratch. I've been, cool. I've been listening to a lot of the episodes. I've been catching up on those too. Like, uh, I've, and I've, I've done some improv and I love, so I, 
incredibly interested in in uh, that episode. Yeah, for sure. It's uh, improv is like I, historically, I'm fucking allergic to it. Yeah, like, I, I'm so. It's like every time I see it, I go, "This shit needs a rewrite." Yeah. These guys. <laughs> This was the main stage guys had, they worked out a, a show and they do it for about two or three months. Um, and so it is a themed show. And, uh, and so they had out of some of their improv sketches, they, they grew an entire hour and a half long show and wow. created it with about eight or 12 different sketches. Okay. Uh, I just got a text from Jackie right here as I'm talking to you, just confirming for tomorrow. She's <laughs> on it. Stage director. Is what oh, yeah. Does. That makes sense. Um, and so I'm, I'm really fascinated by just how you would get into that. I think so many people and so many, so many people's parents would go like, you're going to do what? What What are you majoring in? <laughs> I'm going into theater, mom. Yeah. No oh. bullshit. You know, it's like, uh, you know, or, uh, you know, I'm going to be a musician. I can't tell you how many times many people were like, what the fuck are you going to do with a music degree? You know? And I was like, yeah. uh, I'm going to be a rocker, man. And they were like, okay, dude, you know? And like, it has worked and also not worked in a lot of ways. You know, as soon as I got out of college, I think I delivered pizzas for eight years, you know, yeah. while I was on tour. But like, it was a great way for me to make plenty of money to exist on. And so the service industry there's still something I lean on as far as tending bar. The schedule is super flexible. I'm there two days a week. Um, and That's it's great. like, yeah, can, I can leave for months on end, yeah. you know? And so historically it's been a, 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 um, a way for me to exist, but the whole, I talk to a lot of people on third year scratch about this kind of stuff, you know, and what do you do? Yeah. What have you done? What are the jobs you do? You know, how do you exist? Yeah, and and some of the, my favorite episodes were with, with Steve Tulipana, with um, Mario Quintero and uh, Luis Maldonado. You know, they're telling oh, all yeah. about all the different things that they do throughout the year when they're not touring, and it's it's really fascinating. I mean, you do now. I was looking at the notes. You do stuff like uh, uh, so you've composed music for short films, some commercials, documentaries, oh, yeah. um, right. and uh, Shiner's the egg was used in a Jeep Wrangler commercial in Mexico. It was pretty great. I think it was, uh, yeah, it was played. I don't want to say it played in the Super Bowl, but maybe in like it shown only in Mexico. Oh, wow. Interesting. (laughs) It kind of limits your take. It was was a big payday, but it was, wasn't quite the same payday that it should have been. Yeah. Hey man, you know, if I, if I get anything that I've done out there like that, I would be thrilled. My photography kind of stays local at this point. Right. Because I, right. I remember getting the same kind of comments. What are you going to do with a photography degree? Can't you just go out and shoot pictures? Uh, yeah. Like, can, well, but... Really? Yeah. I mean, somebody's got to take Getty photos. Yeah, exactly. Like, <laughs> exactly. And I, I think, uh, you know, get play, taking photos, especially in this day of phones, the people who can really do it are something special. You know, I mean, it's not just, you know, any knucklehead, any six-year-old can take a kind of cool photo. Oh, yeah. 
kind of, or at least once, but to do it consistently and know what to weed out and see, you know, like sports photographers are oh. and political photographers just like off the charts and pro, you know, I mean, oh. it's crazy. A friend of mine, uh, a photographer, he's old timer. He's, he, he shot over 900 album covers. I mean, some of the most famous. Shit. Yeah. Check out a guy named Jim Cummins. He shot Hendrix. He shot Led Zeppelin. He wow. shot a, a bunch of stuff. He was on the, he was one of my early guests on the show and, his stuff is amazing. He's still out there shooting. He's probably late sixties, early seventies. He's still shooting, right. and his stuff is amazing. He shot the NBA for years. Wow, it was that's pro shit, man. Yeah, the guys. He's he's inspirational to me. He's one of the guys that really made me think. I you know I want to get back into it because I I dropped out of it for years yeah. raising my own family. And I got mm-hmm. three teenagers now, and there, we're kind of at a point now where I can go back. I love music photography. I can go out and and get uh i've hooked up with with uh a local blog park life dc and uh <laughs> they'll give me pa- media passes for for whatever shows i want so i just shot woven hand on monday with david eugene edwards that's great. so geez. that's fucking awesome yeah, yeah i i think there's there are things to to do in anybody's chosen field i mean in particular photography another girl i'm gonna be talking to soon is now a VP at Sony, one of my wife's really good friends. Oh, wow. She does. She's a VP of like publicity. So she has to get uh, Brad and Leo and Quentin together for photos. Like not even shitting. Wow. Like, that's what she does. She's like, okay, stand up. Leo, come forward. Come forward. Okay, cool. We got it. And, blah, blah, blah. and so a lot of it is like wrangling people together. Yeah. To do so her, her degree has gotten her to Hollywood and like into – shooting with big you know all kinds of shit she went to uh brought my wife with her to italy to do that second uh tom hanks film for the uh dan jones books the uh oh the uh, da vinci code ones yeah it was the one who wow. was like uh, something else so she has yeah, she was hanging around it's like it's all tom hanks and crazy people and yeah it's it's nonsense it is so insane it is insane you know and people think you know don't get a fucking photography degree well fuck you, I'm going to do it. And this one, you know, this is what's going to happen. You, yeah. you can never say that because you never know. Yeah. But <laughs> I also think if you just hang around and keep doing it, good things will happen. And that's kind of part of, you just got to, you got to stay around doing it. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And I, I think you're absolutely right. And just persevere. And if, you know, if you've got the talent, like, you know, hopefully I think I do. And, and mm-hmm. like you do musically, it For things sure. will work out. And uh, yep. I know I've taken up, about an hour of your time, man. I really do appreciate you spending so much time with me and chatting with me. And uh, we kind of did it backwards this time because normally I'll have somebody on. We'll do this show and then I'll invite them back on to do another show. We uh-huh. did it the other way around. We we did the, our, you know, shit 80s drummers episode first. That's so. right. That's right. So I, but I will extend the invitation if you ever want to come back on and talk something bizarre, something totally not related to life and times, bird hands. Yeah. Or... When those when those do come out, always welcome to come back on and talk about them. And thank you so much for, for uh, chatting with me. It's been a pleasure. Oh wait, no wait. Before I let you go, I almost I totally forgot. I threw out that I was going to have you on to some people and uh, to see if they had any questions. And I, I got some responses. Um, okay. Let's see. John Agee wanted to. He said you guys had some awesome barbecues after recording sessions with Vast Robot Armies. Yeah. Um, and he said he wanted me to ask you about Longman and Eagle antics. Uh, I, no, I don't know if there's any 
Including John or including just normal Longman Eagle antics? I don't know. He was he's a little vague in his text. Yeah, well, Longman Eagle uh, is is full of hijinks and antics anyway. <laughs> As it gets, it's a really uh, really interesting whiskey bar and Michelin star restaurant and, and a hotel. Wow! And, uh, so things can get um, things can get wild there, man. It's uh, they have a lot of like like kind of dollar beer kind of vibe there also, but. Oh, wow. um, yeah, you so you can um, you can drink a cheap old mill or PBR, but you can also drink uh, a, a six hundred dollars shot of you know some rare whiskey. So Jeez. it's a really interesting. Not even kidding, like That's for real, amazing. it's a very high and low um, kind of mix up. All right, but uh, there's always high drinks going on there, man. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, he wasn't specific, so I, I, we'll probably we'll leave it at that. So. Yeah, uh, Jason Thompson wanted me to ask you about the. Uh, the time the Amish kid interfered with uh, Mutsakis's home run during the 2015 World Series, he said it was really a double. Hmm. Well, that's really interesting. Uh, I, I, the Amish kid, I, I'm, I'm drawing a blank on that. He's, <laughs> he's getting specifics. He's, that's Canadian bullshit he's pulling on me. So, well. <laughs> so we got one too vague, one too specific. Yeah. It's right. too specific. Let's try to hit the middle here. Uh, Steve Tulipana. Wanted me to ask you about the God Pipe. Oh, the God Pipe. Uh, God Pipe was our fictitious but semi-regular uh, industrial band in the early 90s. It was uh, me on the drum kit, uh, Sean Sherrill on the, on the scuzz bass, and then, uh, and then a couple more. Steve was screaming, and we always had the lights off, and we were always – there was, there was – <laughs> yeah, it was, a, it was a very kind of like very heavy kind of thing. And so we had this fictitious singer named Clobber, and he had left the band, and so we were his Clobberites. But uh, we was always like, "What would Clobber do at this point?" So, <laughs> Sounds a bit Death Clock-y. It was kind of. It wasn't even that. It was more like uh, industrial. So it was slower. <laughs> I couldn't play it. It's like over and over, you know. Oh man, that's awesome. Yeah. And I, Alan, I appreciate all your time. Thank you so much for coming on with me. Totally, dude. Glad to, glad to do it. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett. 
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. 